Hi, I'm John David Bennett, Dean of Curricular Innovation at Mercersburg Academy. For the 2020-21 academic year, Mercersburg has chosen Making a Difference as its theme. Each month, we'll have a conversation with an alum who is living Mercersburg's mission of leading and serving and making a difference in their community. Today, I'll be talking to Ryan Fay, class of 2001. Since graduating from Mercersburg, Ryan has lived, studied, and worked around the world as a human rights activist, a civil rights attorney, and a continuing advocate for civil relief and social justice. While attending Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, he served as a tutor and mentor for local children, and he found his first inspiration toward international activism while on a service trip to Cuba. We began our conversation talking about a photo of him on the front page of a Cairo newspaper in 2009. Here's Ryan Fay. Ryan, how are you? Good, how are you? All right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, I'm looking at this photo of you on the front page of a Cairo newspaper. Uh, when was this? And what was happening? Yeah, so this picture is from uh, 2009 during the Gaza Freedom March. Um, and so I guess to kind of set the stage for the story, a lot there had been groups of people, you know, different groups of people from religious groups to you know, South African trade unions, um, some members of parliament, um, Code Pink, various activists and human rights groups um, in the United States. And we had come to Cairo in order to get to Gaza to bring aid and kind of bear witness to what was happening. But kind of how the idea got started is a lot of us had met working uh, on you know, the, the, the issue of the Palestinian occupation. And a lot of us had met in the West Bank um, working there and due to the inability to get into the West Bank and the severity of the problems in Gaza, we kind of, um, we started sending flotillas of people to break the siege. The flotillas kept getting stopped at sea. So then we came up with the idea kind of taken from people like John Lewis and the Freedom Riders, that if we had a coalition of people from around the world that could meet in Cairo and then cross um, into Gaza from Cairo, uh, bear witness to what was happening, bring aid and support the people. So uh, after we, we were all planned to go to Gaza and then uh, Hussein Mubarak, who was the dictator of Egypt at the time, stepped in from what we understand as the advice of foreign governments and said we could no longer go to Gaza. Uh, we met with his wife, Suzanne Mubarak, who was running the Red Crescent. She stated that they let a small number of us go basically with no aid, for like a day, they were going to let two busts of people go in. And, you know, we had objections to that because the point was that we had a right to be able to cross into the border of Palestine, especially if the Palestinians wanted us to cross in. And we had a right to bring aid to these people. So we explained that if they didn't let us go to Gaza, that we were going to protest against her husband, uh, his complicity in the occupation, and, you know, just protest against the occupation of Gaza in general in Cairo. And they explained that protesting was against the law in Egypt and that wouldn't happen. And so then a couple of days later, we kind of had a flash mob protest in Tahiri Square, um, which becomes became you know quite a famous site during the Arab Spring um, a few months after this. Um, that was the heart of the protest in Egypt. And so on this day, we had come and we were protesting peacefully. And then the Egyptian state sent in the security guards and police and army who started violently removing us from the square. 
So uh, a woman I knew was knocked over and kind of getting trampled and beaten on the ground. So I went to pick her up and I moved a security guard out of the way when I was doing so. And he smacked me in the face with a walkie-talkie. Yeah. So I happened to turn around. You can't see the photograph. You have this pretty enormous gash underneath your left eye in the, in the picture. And yeah. you're wearing a Mercersburg t-shirt underneath <laughs> your- I realized at a later date that I had on a Mercersburg t-shirt and then I tossed a protest t-shirt over top of it when we started. And uh, so later on I realized that that was, yeah, that, that was kind of funny. And yeah, I actually, I didn't know my, I thought my nose was actually bleeding and I turned around and then when all these people started snapping photographs of me, I, that's when I realized that there was something um, wrong with my eye and later came to realize it was busted open. So what was your earliest inspiration in her life of activism? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I think as far, as far as activism, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, you get a lot of attention for things like Gaza or for showing up at protests, but I think that, you know, like activism, um, for me, it really started with people helping me out teach the teachers I had, you know, I, I actually had a client when I practiced law who was a Black Panther, and she used to always say this, that, you know, before you ever went to protest or threw a stone or yelled at someone, you should read a book, you should feed someone, you should teach someone. So I think that, you know, I grew up with dyslexia as a kid, and I remember being in first grade and them discussing, you know, if I was going to have the ability to go to a normal school, and them wanting, um, the, the teacher at the time wanting to send me to a different school, and I had my parents, and uh a uh, special education teacher at the time named Lisa Greco, who explained to me that with America's Disabilities Act that I was gonna have a right to go to school. So, and then Lisa became like an aunt to me. She tutored me my entire life, four or five days a week. I had another teacher who I used to meet her at her house in the morning. She would tutor me and then drive me, <coughs> sorry, drive me to school. So I think that you know, these people and kind of these interactions really inspired me to help out other people or to, you know, to, to, to do the same thing for people in situations like I was in. Um, and then also my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, had a program where she would give free lunches to people in Cincinnati that okay. I found out about when I was older, but that really kind of inspired me. It was also interesting because um, the same thing was happening in Oakland uh, with the Black Panthers. But I thought that, you know, kind of those interactions to um, community, you know, your kind of surrounding community and people around you is kind of were my kind of earliest inspirations to, to kind of get involved. And I think that, that's kind of why the first things I did revolved around teaching. So while you were at Trinity, you took a school trip to Cuba. Is that correct? Um, so it was, I was attending Trinity, but it was actually a, it was sponsored by actually the State Department. And it was like a people to people connection uh, trip to Cuba. And yeah, and, and this is kind of, yeah. And so this was, um, and, and, and so I think that this kind of relates back to, you know, how I got involved in activism and in that like, when I was at Trinity, I was teaching, uh, I was tutoring at a inner city school and I was working at a boys and girls club, which I think, you know, gave me a lot of insight into um, the lives of you know, kind of what was going on around me or like public policy, educational policy. And then I, I studied history. And so, you know, there's always these questions I had kind of about the narrative I was told and you know, it seemed kind of off in certain situations. And, and Cuba had always seemed like one of those situations that just something didn't seem right. And so I went on this trip that was sponsored by the State Department and we, you know, met with a lot of Cuban students, with people, different wings of the Cuban government. We did a tour and this was before tourism was allowed in Cuba. And, um, and so that was like one of the first times I, I kind of did international 
work and, and it wasn't you know we we did meet with some schools and we brought some supplies but it wasn't really true aid work it was kind of more of like a, a political connection but, but i think that that really kind of inspired me to do more work and to travel more and to be more involved and i think that you know after trinity that's what inspired me to do things i'm um, like i worked in a women's prison in, uh, in Peru, and I did some human rights reporting in South America. So I think that that experience really kind of inspired me to ask more questions or to, you know, kind of bear witness myself to what was going on to kind of understand the world or um, like policy around me. So as an activist, uh, how would you describe the impact of your work? Yeah, so I think that the, the impact of my work, I mean, I think like when I was younger and you start, you kind of have these grandiose visions that you're going to have these kind of Berlin Wall moments where the world's going to change in front of your eyes. And I think the older we get, um, the less you realize that that's going to happen. But you take kind of more um, enjoyment or you respect more like the small moments that when you see, you know, things on kind of a personal or uh, kind of a micro level happening or changing. For activism, a lot of times we think of these, you know, you know, kind of Gandhi or John Lewis walking across the bridge. But I think that like the heart of it is really, you know, day-to-day -day things like teaching, helping feed your helping feed someone in your community, the small things like that, that really build up and have an impact. You know, I don't know, I like to hope to think that, you know, the impact of what I've done has, is, yeah, has kind of helped individual people's lives, just, you know, make them a little bit better or just showing solidarity. Um, I think that there's this quote by, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lilla Watson, she's an, uh, she was an Aboriginal activist. And it's it's like, if you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come here because your liberation is bound with mine, then let's work together. And I think that that's kind of, you know, a lot of, that, that you know, you're not, that a lot of it's standing in solidarity with people and showing that you support them. And then um, kind of bearing witness and speaking out to what you've seen, as opposed to, you know, being the orchestrator or like the, the grandmaster of, of what's going to change. Do you have a story about an interpersonal moment when you can sense the impact of your work? You know, maybe with someone standing right in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been, uh, there's actually been like quite a few. Um, one of the first projects I did um, was in Vietnam, and we raised money. We worked with local Vietnamese people in the Mekong Delta to raise money and then build an orphanage and school. When we were building the orphanage, uh, and we, we, we were renovating it, at the end it was a girls' orphanage, and all of the young girls were almost in tears, which you know obviously had a huge impact. And then we were, when we were working on this school in the Mekong Delta, there was an older man who was my father's age. I actually brought my parents with me, and my dad was you know of the age of people getting drafted to be a nom, but didn't. And uh, and this guy was talking to my dad and was saying. Could you imagine, you know, years ago, we could have been feuding with each other. And I remember just thinking like, not, a, you know, just kind of how ridiculous that was that we were all there working together on a project where they could have been fighting. Um, I, I, another one was a really impactful moment was when I was in um, Cairo after the, the, the Freedom March, um, I had gotten, you know, as we discussed, uh, hit in the face and I was bleeding. And then I was quite afraid of being arrested because it was against a lot of protest. So that night I had uh, gone and kind of hidden in a hotel and uh, they stitched up my eye on camera so that if I was arrested the next day, they could release the footage. And so I was sneaking out to get breakfast and this man came over to me and I was with a friend of mine who's Egyptian and uh, she, she actually lived in Cairo and she was one of the people who were helping organize the protest. Uh, he came over and started speaking in Arabic and explained that his daughter um, 
had cancer and he had snuck through the tunnels from Gaza to come to Cairo to get money to bring her cancer treatment and that she had seen um, me on the front of the newspaper bloody and that it had given her this hope that there was an American coming to Cairo and willing to you know, fight for their liberation. So that's something that's always kind of stuck with me. Another time in Palestine, I was at a home eviction. I had been up all night. Um, they didn't actually take any of us in cuss or to the prison, but we had been uh, arrested for hours. And I was just so tired on this bus. And this old woman stood up and asked me to sit down and gave me an apple and an Arabic explained to the people behind me that I was fighting for the Palestinians. And, and, and so, uh, yeah, that was also a really sweet moment that I remembered. So you also spent time as a civil rights attorney. You said primarily uh, representing victims of police brutality? Yes, I did a lot of um, police uh, brutality and I also did discrimination cases. Like I explained that um, I have dyslexia um, and so you know, understanding that the ADA had ensured that disabled people had education, I think that um, discrimination and kind of you know, disability policy was also things I did, but a lot of it was police abuse. Was there an especially memorable case that comes to mind? Um, well, actually, one of the first cases I worked on was uh, a woman, uh, she, she was like, she looked like a grandmother, she was just the sweetest lady, and she was beaten uh, pretty badly by the police in Berkeley, actually, uh, in a radio station, and she had worked in the radio station, she was, uh, at the time, wasn't employed, but was going to be on a radio show that day, so had gone to the station to prepare this woman at the station who she had issues with basically told her to leave the police showed up told her she needed to leave she said she had permission and then they beat her uh, severely and i think that you know one of the reasons she was beaten was not only because she was african-american but because she used to be a black panther and they knew that um and so i remember yeah that 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 really stuck with me um because she you know she faced very serious complications afterwards and she was just such a sweet person the other cases and i think i, I you know um, there was a couple sexual harassment cases I did that were just very egregious that always stuck with me because I feel like if it was a different situation or, you know, if you changed the, the parties that, uh, it, you know, someone would have been going to jail instead of seeking money. You know, when you look at um, how people of color are prosecuted, I mean, like Emmett Teal, for instance, and then you look at sexual harassment cases where there's some guy, you know, or woman or who's harassing another person and because of the situation they're in, they're basically just paying them off instead of, you know, facing prison time. Or so you're now living in San Francisco. How did that come about? I was practicing law, and I kind of, um, I was having trouble paying my bills, and my one boss I kind of got in a fight with, a disagreement. Um, so I stopped practicing law where I, at the office I was working. I started applying for other jobs, and wasn't really finding much. I, I wanted to do, and I met someone in real estate, and so I got my broker's license, <laughs> started working in real estate thinking it was going to be part-time, and then ended up really loving it, and I'm still here, and yeah, it's been great. It's allowed me, you know, some flexibility in my schedule and income so I can uh, do other things I want, like be involved in, um, in sub-organizations and have some free time, so it's been good. So with that flexibility, are you still involved in service work and social justice action? Yeah, I'm still involved in several organizations. Most, um, so I have big brothers and sisters. I have a mentee who I've mentored for about seven years. For a while, I was delivering food with this uh, place called Project Open Hand, but I switched companies, and so I haven't done that in a few months. 
But uh, a lot of the work I do is for an organization called 10,000 Degrees. That's an educational organization that raises money um, to provide educational services, college scholarships, but also does mentoring and career services. So that we help, you know, not we recognize not only getting a college education, but getting that first job is really the key. So I know a lot of our students are not only first generation Americans, but first generation uh, college students. So. Um. So as you know, 2020-2021 at Mercersburg, the theme of the year is make a difference. For our students who who want to do just that, what what advice would you give them? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think the first thing is is just to to do something. I mean, I think a lot of us is just we you know it's I mean I've done this before. We spend so much time thinking about. You know, what should I do? Or is this going to help? You know, what kind of impact am I going to have? And we set all these kind of, you know, benchmarks or standards when I think the most important thing is just doing something. You know, I mean, I've worked at food banks. Um, I've mentored people. And like, not only am, are you doing something which helps out your community, but also I've learned so much. I mean, for instance, I worked at a food bank and I learned how, you know, po policy works in California around food as far as, um, you know, food aid. Um, you know, what kind of public benefits people can get. So, I mean, I think that, that not only are these experiences good for helping out your community, but also it makes you a more informed person as far as um, just interacting. So I think doing something, and I mean, and I think that, you know, like I was saying before, is it's the small things that, that, that you'll have a million people who show up to a protest, but when you have to, you know, feed someone or, you know, someone needs mentored, there's often a lot of empty chairs. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's it too, is that, you know, finding things that you can do in a sustainable way, um, you know, that you can do consistently. Um, and I think it's something that you enjoy, you know, like if you like cooking, you can, you can help provide food. If you're into art, there's a lot of public art projects or, you know, places where you can bring art to people who don't necessarily have it. So, um, yeah, but I think that the thing is, you know, just doing something. Thank you for listening, and special thanks, of course, to Ryan Fay. To listen to this podcast again, or to hear other Mercersburg podcasts, please visit mercersburg.edu slash podcast. And I hope you'll join us next month when I talk with Dr. Larry Gluck, class of 1971. If you have a friend or classmate who's making a difference in their community, we invite you to nominate them for a possible appearance on a future podcast by sending their name and information to alumni at mercersburg.edu. Dot edu.